0: We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Roth! How are you doing, Roth? Pretty good, man. How are you? We are, we are now separated again, so when we remember guys today, uh, the audience won't be completely baffled
1: because uh, we're having a little video display at our live event. Yeah, today. I'm going to miss okay. that crowd work. I feel yeah. like that's a real strength for me, is uh, somebody like, yelling a name out from the back of the room and me being like, "Sorry, are you saying Trent Dilfer, sir? That's good. I think that's a that's a promising new bit. I I, I should have run through the guys last week before uh, we presented
0: them to people because, you know, I should have known in advance that Chad Hutchinson is not exactly the most recognizable fellow. And if you put a picture of Eric Zier up from his current corporate job <laughs> and it's just him in a suit, no one's going to be like, oh, oh,
1: Eric Zier, the legendary, of course I know who, who the fuck that is. Yeah. I think it's really good that you started with the guy that was like Theo Ratliff's backup on the Iverson Sixers. Just to let people know like what they were in for. Well, it was Art Long who was famous for punching a
0: horse, so that was yes. important. I mean, it didn't, I, if we had a photo of him punching the horse Mongo style, yes. then, that really, then somebody would have said, Hey, that's Art Long, but that, yep. that's not what
1: happened. Yeah, if you, if you take that anecdote out of it, though, the difference between him and Kenny Thomas becomes almost unparsibly thin.
0: Our uh, our guest this week is from the best sports page in America. It's the Wall Street Journal's Jason Gay. Hi, Jason. Oh, how are you?
2: Wow, it's Jason Gay. Hey, how is everybody today? Pretty good. You know, how are you? Good. I can't remember any guys, but I'm good.
1: It's fun. There's there's plenty of you know different different types of guys. I'm sure yeah. Well, as, as they occur to you over the course of the podcast, just shout out their names. Okay. Yeah, and
0: I selected a guy that you will will know. So that's very you know we 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 accommodate. For guys, for guys. So that's Is, that's like how. Is like somebody
2: cool. like Biff Pokeroba like way too familiar to be a guy to remember. No, in, in <laughs>
1: what? Who? What circles do you move in where everybody's constantly bringing him up?
0: <laughs> how you doing, Jason? So, uh, Jason, I believe you were in New York, right?
2: No, I, I have moved. We've we've picked up stakes. We're moving closer to you. Uh, I'm now in Baltimore, Maryland, Drew. So. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. You're in Baltimore. Yeah. Wow. We could get a drink. I will never, I will never actually drive up to Baltimore to get that drink because I'm lazy. But we could meet in like Howard County or something. Sure. What man. if you went to Pocomoke, or you just went down the shore? Uh, yeah, we could do that too. Yeah, have you gotten a, a Baltimore accent yet? Do you say like Sunday and says "Sunday" and what have you?
2: <laughs> I hope to, but it's it's a work in progress. Though so, actually, it's it's hope. Say, yeah yeah i think the kids might that'd be kind of cool oh yeah,
1: yeah. i hope great. we can have you back on in another six months and you'll just sound like val check from the wire <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's uh it's good that you moved because um new york now is a, a conflagration of omicron which is not a holding company but uh, the newest covid <laughs> variant and very very excited uh that i got out of new york apparently in the nick of time and tested negative after this act. our own Perry very I said Perry Bajewski, our own Barry Bajeski, It does Bajewski. seem like the week.
2: This does feel like the week, doesn't it? it really right, does.
0: because now that, you know, as of this recording, um, almost all the NBA suddenly has COVID. Almost all the NFL suddenly has COVID. The Rams, who lost so many players to COVID right before Monday night's victory against the Cardinals, had even more players, including OBJ, uh, test positive for COVID uh, after the fact. And so it's it's all over the place. In fact, so much so that the NFL... As of today, is convening like an emergency meeting to see if they should rework their protocols. Presumably, uh, resulting in I would I would imagine uh, asymptomatic players there it is. being able to play even if they test positive. I'm I'm thinking that that is probably the way that they might go. Jason, do you have a feeling? How do you feel? Do you have a feeling that something momentous will happen within the sports world this week? Given the uh, incredible pervasiveness and sudden pervasiveness of Omicron.
2: Well, I don't think it's going to be like some sort of earth shaking thing, but I do think what you're talking about is what's going to happen, which is that they will do some sort of recalibration of the protocols to allow players who are, as you said, asymptomatic positives to get back on the field uh, quicker. I don't think it'll necessarily be allowing positive players to get back onto the field immediately, but I do think that like, you know, this variant uh, mercifully seems to be, uh, you know, more virulent, but it doesn't seem to be as severe in terms of its impact. And yes. uh, so I think that that is one thing that's giving folks confidence that, uh, you know, we're not seeing a Delta-like surge. Uh, and it's it's strange how this has happened now again, but sport seems to be this vessel through which the rest of the world is now sort of processing um a new development in this pandemic. I mean, that same thing that happened a couple of years ago, of course, with the NBA walking off the court, you know, it's not as dramatic as that, but it does seem to be this wild confluence happening in both the the NBA and the NFL at the same time. You know, one of the things that it, I just sound like Chris Collins were there when I gave up one of the things, but
0: (laughs) the thing that I noticed about it was, I've read a lot um, about how, you know, essentially we are going to have to succumb to endemicity where covid is here, you know, and it's it's pervasive. There's no really, you know, you're you're going to you're going to have to just accept that there is some risk of you getting it as you go about your business out in life. And so I was always like, okay, well that's coming, that's coming. And I feel like this strain has essentially forced our hand and that it's like, yeah, you're going to get this strain, but it's not going to kill you. So, you you know, you're going to have to figure out, you know, your own priorities cuz I don't think I think all of us, and I I don't mean to speak for everybody, but I'm so fucking tired of this shit. I'm tired. I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I want my fucking life back. And there's no way that I personally, I can only speak for myself here. There's just no way that I'm going to like, I'm going to quarantine again. I don't, I can't like i won 't survive i 'll just go out of my fucking mind about, yeah, like that.
2: I mean, a tricky element of this, of course, is that we are seeing in some regions stresses on the healthcare system, which was exactly the issue you know going it 's yes. about like you know overloading the system, not having beds available, but if you read uh carefully those reports in almost every instance, the stress is really being brought by unvaccinated uh individuals, and so you know that obviously should be putting a premium upon getting vaccinated getting boosted like Drew, doing all those steps. Uh, because if you want to get to that, what did you call it? What you, endemicity? Is that the yeah. word?
0: Endemicity. I used it last night at the dinner table. My wife was like, what? I was like,
2: yeah. I love, yeah. It. I love it. I didn't even know it was a word until now, but it we've sounds a, great.
1: one virulence and two endemicities, and we've been going for like five minutes. <laughs> this is really a promising beginning. The, to the but mind.
2: the path to, to Drew's endemicity is, you know, vaccinations. Let's, let's do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is essentially is going to become a PSA for us to ask you politely to get vaccinated. I'm not going to be all bitchy the way I usually am. Say, oh, that Kirk Cousins, uh, Khalil Mack should cough in his face for gamesmanship and all that. I'm not going to do that this time around.
2: Drew, have you had this strange experience? Because I just had it the other day, which was we had you know a, a worry about a sniffle and a kid being sick, and I, and I and I was like, gosh, this is the. F- everyone's vaccinated everyone in my house is now double vaccinated the kids are double vaxxed it's amazing to me that we've actually achieved this state in my home you know within a year
0: yeah i'm like i try my best and i've written about this where uh you know i i try to counteract sort of the bleakness fetish of the internet just saying like everything's worse and it's only going to get worse and i'm you know i try to remember that you know Oh, my God. I'm – like, I did not think at the end of this year – like, I knew I would be vaccinated – I would be vaccinated this year because the vaccines were coming out into the market at the end of 2020. But I did not think that not only I would be vaccinated, but all of my children would be vaccinated. And that my daughter – they just approved the booster shots. For sixteen and seventeen year olds, my daughter turns sixteen in February. So, like on her birthday, her birthday present is a trip to the goddamn <laughs> clinic. <I'm not> nice. <laughs> like, like she ain't the getting the gift a fucking of muscular girl. soreness. Yeah, and she's not getting a fucking car. She's getting boosted, and then she can fuck off and do whatever she wants after that. But
1: you're right. It is weird though, because it is—it's both miraculous and yet I think this is the part where you know the you know, just to echo Drew's point about being tired, where like it's really hard not to feel sort of, like, a a sort of broader resentment, not just, you know, towards people that are are getting sick and filling up hospitals, like, that's really effectively a them problem and not a me problem. It's just, like, this is a miraculous 12 months of progress in that sense, and yet, like, I can't say that I'm, like, feeling that much better. You know? Like, (laughs) it's, and that part of it is, again, maybe my fault for spending too much time, like, looking at online or just immersing myself in the news. Like, honestly, like, there's plenty of other stuff that I could be doing that would probably prevent me from feeling that grouchy about it, but it's frustrating, like, because I, as great as it is to be, you know, double vaxxed and boosted, and, like, I gotta tell you, the lifestyle, it suits me, I feel great. Yes. Um, Not physically, of course, but, you know, or emotionally, but it's nice, uh, all the same. There's just also this element of it that, like, the whole idea of that was that, once that's over with you're normal again and i'm not you know like i i got the three shots and i went through the emotional roller coaster of the whole thing and that's all excellent and yet like still just fucking weird time to be alive and moving through the world i I mean i don't think we got another year of feeling like this ahead of us but like i think a lot of the tiredness for me is really just kind of uh Feeling like I got cheated to a certain extent, like hoping that uh, that this would be a, a normal Christmas time, even a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah, and I would say that right oh. now we are not in any uh, simple way or complicated way having one of those.
0: Yeah, I I I agree with you uh, because I I really you know you want to have this sort of like I'm off the hook, I can fuck off and go to, like Grand Cayman if I feel like it and yeah. not give a fuck about anything, and it's not, and it's sort of that. It was sort of inevitable that that was the case. That there would always be like, you know, you would, you're we're all still adults and we still have to lead responsible lives. And the world is never going to be ideal, certainly not now. Um, But you know, it's it's hard when you've been through quarantine and waited so long for progress, and the progress comes to you. It's hard not to feel, you know, a bit ripped off that you did not, you know, you you did not reap the ultimate benefits. Of that progress, which yeah. is that you don't have to you don't have to work and you can you get also get a billion dollars with your shot
1: and all that. Right. But that that that's not that's not what occurred. So, yes, I know because we've been we've like touched it a couple of times, you know, that like there was that like that little sort of like all yeah. summer in a day period of like five weeks. Remember, like in like May
2: through like early July or. Whatever? Yeah. Yeah. The the summer loved, it was great. Baby. And all then the proclamations like, that it was going to be the craziest summer ever.
0: Yeah, yeah was, I was in on that. I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking keggers, even though I'm a recovering alcoholic and don't drink anymore.
1: But I, I didn't do any of that. Shit. I love those any. blogs. That was such a... Cause- you know, whatever. I'm too old, but the idea of just like reading these headlines and being like, everyone's fucking smashing, dude. Like, this is it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, there's something very like kind of grandfatherly in me in reading them, where I was like, ah, well, have fun. That's great. Like, you've earned it.
0: Jason, can I ask you if you were in charge of one of these leagues, and let's say the NFL, let's say you were, you were commis- you were the Ginger Hammer for a day. Hmm. What would Dream. you change right now about how the NFL is conducting its co- COVID protocols?
2: Jeez, uh, I would say the one thing that they're probably uh, and 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 you should keep in mind that these leagues like to think of themselves as some kind of healthcare vanguard here. You know? Yes, that, yeah. they, that they are kind of a thousand
1: percent. They're like that with like law enforcement too. They're like, well, there's no the red tape of accountability. Like it's yep. like we can do our own investigation. Yeah, they
2: they all want to
0: say they're leading the way a thousand percent. So go on.
2: But, I mean, uh, my question is, like, are we going to get into a point where we're differentiating between positives, and is that even possible? Because, like, if you have an – I'm going to mangle it. It's Omicron. Omicron positive versus, you know, an OG COVID positive. I don't even know if you can, like, differentiate that. I doubt you can, like, initially at least. You know, one is much less severe than the other, and we're going to get to this point where we're penalizing people either telling them they can't come to work or play football or whatever it is for things that are statistically innocuous. Uh, And I think that that's the thing that they're going to have to confront here. I mean, they're probably going to do it just by dialing back their overall um, protocols because, you know, it's a healthy population of NFL players by and large, including the people who have uh, gotten COVID. But it just doesn't work from a practical standpoint in terms of putting people on the field.
0: Yeah, I think uh, they can. This is really true with Delta. You could get a test that told you what strain you had. However, it was very expensive, and I think it was more invasive than the uh, the little brain tickle you get
1: with the with the cotton swab. Yeah, and so you guys it are is, testing at like industrial scale too. Like, I mean, right. they can. Not time for that.
2: The other part of this is it's budging up against this thing that the NFL did with its protocols, which was to make them somewhat punitive upon people who got the virus, right? Like you are trying to induce people to get vaccinations. So you're creating this situation where people are gonna get fined, potentially forfeiture of games, like all this kind of stuff. And like the NFL, like, what are we 12 weeks into the season wants no part of, you know, canceling games or having teams forfeit games, Yeah, nightmare type scenario. Uh, for most clubs, um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not the Jaguars, but yeah. all the other clubs. Yes. Fire's uh-huh. <laughs> been like offering to do that since like <laughs> November, which is like, you know, cause we could just, we could dip if you guys want, like, or if you're, if you're not feeling it or.
2: Right. So they're probably looking at these results from like Monday and Tuesday and been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like we have to recalibrate here because, you know, if we start throwing around the kind of penalties that we said we were going to do in August, it's going to be really dramatic.
0: Right, because in theory, those were set up essentially to pan- penalize uh, unvaccinated players. Yeah. But it, but it, but because it's a lot of vaccinated players who are getting uh, infected now, you know, they, they did their due diligence and they've gotten a strain, potentially gotten a strain that, and here I'm going to talk way out of my league, of essentially a, a virus that has mutated into something that will not kill off its host because it, kills off the virus when it kills off the host. So it's smart of the virus to be a bit more benign so that it can thrive in whatever host it has. But again, that is me talking science when I know absolutely nothing. But it ends up, you're you're right, it ends up penalizing players who essentially did their,
1: their jobs as opposed to Kirk Cousins, who needs to be punished in other ways. It's sort of weird that way because my instinct always when you hear about leagues and testing standards like this is to just assume that they're going to do the most cynical thing. Because, like, that's, you know, I think natural and reasonable to assume that they would. They usually do. And yet in this case, like, if you are going off of symptoms as opposed to a positive test, then, like, not only does it make their stuff a lot easier, but it does sort of, like, there's nothing wrong with changing your standards to reflect a change in reality. Like, that's not – just because Roger Goodell does it or because, you know, like Adam Silver does it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, like, uh, some cynical corporate – you know, like it just like that was um, Billy Donovan was talking about that with the Bulls, you know, CAD two games canceled this week. And he was saying that, like, almost like we got a lot of players with no symptoms sitting at home in quarantine, like yes. waiting to test negative. And like, I feel, you know, bad about that. Like, it's the sort of thing where the idea of making other people more sick is obviously the most important factor here. And yet, once you are at a sort of a critical mass of vaccinations, which is like true in the NBA, but not true in society at large, which I think is like a crucial difference. We're not far from it as a country, actually, but we are, are not we quite not? there yet. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, man. I mean, again, I, it's a question of how you feel. I have no idea what that number is. No,
0: the, the number was, I saw it. It was because it was they, they did a split of Europe. And the countries that were over 75% vaccinated, the caseloads were just nothing. And the ones that were under it, even just a touch, even just a tick, were, had m- like by multitudes more caseloads. And we as a uh, country in the U.S. are, th- I believe it's 70%. And so we have to get up to, I, it's either 72 or 75%. So we're almost there. We just have to convince
1: like Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I was gonna say all t- it takes t- is five listeners of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Five unvaccinated listeners. You know
0: what it is? It's 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 a thousand percent true. Every vaccine counts. So if you are not vaccinated, I I'll I'll send you a kudos bar if you get vaccinated. Yeah. I don't feel like
2: we've been like talking about like herd immunity for two years and I still don't know what it is. It's like amazing that yeah. like it's R- right. Yeah. I know. It's
1: like it's it's the same thing with any of these things that like I feel like my understanding of it went from zero to like sixty percent really fast and then just has absolutely stalled out at sixty two for the like previous fourteen months. Yeah, I remember that was that's when everyone's a cow. That was the British
0: strategy. It was Boris Johnson being like, well, we're all, if we all get it, we'll be all right. Well, and then and that- also, like,
2: there's so much, like, media coverage that, like, pretends to be sort of the, the definitive answer. You know, like, you know, the headline says, like, you are going to do this or this will happen to this. And we are here on this. And, like, if this is – if nothing else, this has been a pandemic of questions and, you know, murkiness and yeah. mystery. And there's no definition. And it's completely – in, you know, it's it's not built for its time of like definitiveness and headline writing. Yeah. And also
1: that like the lack of faith in the idea of like just sort of starting from the position of being lied to. It's like no one knew anything. Like my sister was telling me, who is a doctor, was throwing out some old medical journals from last year. And she was just like sort of going through them and was like struck by how wrong so much of the stuff was. And it wasn't wrong for any reason of like malfeasance or it was just, they didn't know anything yet. Right. And we're still learning stuff about it, but you're right. I mean, it is just like, it's really hard to sort of bear that in mind. Cause you feel abandoned maybe is a word for it. Like just in terms of like who actually does know anything and are they able to help you?
0: Well, right. I also, this has been, you know, the pandemic has, has taught at least me the value of sort of waiting for the proper information now that's ironic given that a lot of anti- anti-vaxxers are just like well, I'm still waiting for the facts, but mm-hmm. in reality there was a lot of, you know, you know, the media and which we are part of likes to get ahead of itself and to give you answers as you know, not even I want to say as best they can, but they don't even try that hard a lot of times. So I you know, and so I am used to, you know, when a new variant strikes, I'm like, "Oh, someone's going to explain this to me right away." Even though the study on this variant, like all the information definitely has not come in yet and, is co- and comes in piecemeal. So you have to sort of wait and sort of, you know, and and take that information as it comes, but you still have to wait for it. But that goes against sort of the firsties instinct, not only of the media, but of the people consuming it too. Yeah,
2: You don't, I, I don't think for a minute that people are going to go back to any kind of draconian lockdown state. I don't think that you're even going to get a situation where teams start playing in empty stadiums. They're doing it in Germany, actually. Bundesliga is playing in empty stadiums right now. But I, I just, just, I can't see that happening here. Yeah, yeah,
1: I don't think E-School's coming back either. Like I, just, I also I just feel don't. like it's just, there's no institution that has the stomach for that fight or maybe at this point has the authority to actually pull it off. <laughs> I mean, right, because we would all just be like, fuck that. Right, I mean, like, they never really tried. But at this point, the idea of just, some sort of like federal mandate or whatever. I just feel like people are so past it that they'd flip out. Yeah.
0: Uh let's talk about sports, Jason, you're a big cyclist. Can I uh can I ask you is there cycling news uh this winter? Because winter is really the the best time to Roger bicycle.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. And and uh, the the, the you know, anytime you can segue from endemicity to uh, European cyclocross, you just yes. do it, right. That's what the McAfee show does, right? It's usually like European cyclocross talk for a thousand
0: know. percent. And then Aaron Rodgers yeah. comes on, and then he says that his toe uh, won best actress. We the, are uh, in
2: cyclocross season, gentlemen, which is the sport that's kind of like a hybrid between mountain biking and road biking. It's huge in Belgium uh they have a lot of stars uh in the european continent some americans uh it's sort of muddy it's wet it's you hop over uh barriers you carry the bike up hills uh Ooh. what's interesting in cycling and i'll keep this really quick uh is that don't be quick The yeah. best cyclists in the world the guys who are competing in the tour de france the women who are competing in the um uh women's gear in Italia, uh are competing in these races. You know, you have, this is sort of the the epic day of the all-around cyclist. It's no longer the era of the specialist. We saw that not that long ago where cyclists would pick one discipline, stick to it. Now, people are doing mountain biking. They're doing road biking. They're doing cyclocross. It's very interesting. All the growth in this country, we're actually in a bike boom in America. I don't know if either one of you tried to buy a bike for yourself or for somebody else. It's really hard. There's very little inventory. Uh, Christmas bikes are almost hard, you know, impossible to come by. Um, but a lot of the growth is happening in dirt and gravel and things like that because people are sick of cars and roads and bike paths and all that kind of stuff.
1: Can you describe the experience of watching a cyclocross race? I feel like it's as close as I'm going to get to doing it. But I know you're really good with words. So tell me a little bit. Just take me there. I'm in Belgium now. There's a guy whose last name ends with the letters CK and X. What's he doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's a multi-surface course. So your grass, asphalt, mud, sand, uh, you sometimes have water. This past weekend, they had about a half foot of snow. Uh, you are traversing this terrain. If you cannot traverse the terrain on your bike, you pick up the bike and you literally run with the bike. So you see these people carrying the bike on their back. Oh, yeah. These are 20-pound bikes. These are not like heavy, heavy apparatus. But it still sucks to carry a fucking bike.
1: Yeah, that does answer my question about what do you do when you're on sand? Because you can't really, really ride a bike in in the sand, right? If you
2: build up momentum, and what cyclocross people like to talk about obsessively is tire pressure so the idea is that if you run your pressure low enough you actually create enough of a, um, a tread that you can go across sand if you're at a good enough velocity but that doesn't always happen and so that usually results in people picking up the bike and sand but you can see people do it last year they ran the world championships course right alongside the ocean and people rode it because they had enough speed do they have do they keep like special pumps
0: on them to Fuck with the tire pressure
2: they do not but it's a closed course like uh you know like a car race and so they have a pit where they can change their bikes so they can change the treads they can change the pressure they have a pit person who's there with them really say yeah so they get a clean bike, you know, coming through. Usually the reason they change bikes is that they're covered in mud and grit and all that kind of stuff, and they just want a clean bike. But if they want, you know, changes to pressure and stuff like that, usually those are the things that are happening before the race. But, yeah, you can make mid-race changes to equipment.
0: I like the idea of, of cha- wanting a clean bike. Oh, my bike's dirty. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, but all that mud and grit gets in there. and yeah, But it is covered in mud.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm just thinking about how I take – dirt on a bike oh mud
1: ah it's on my pants ah jason how often do they let you write about this like because this is something i know you care about a lot is this like the sort of thing where you spend all year thinking about it and then you get to write 800 words on it once
2: yeah i mean i try to uh ration it a little bit um I, you know, mostly because I just don't want to alienate my reader, (laughs) 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 you know, there are a devoted number of people who care a great deal about it. And I'm very um, appreciative of them, but I know that the public by and large isn't terribly invested in the sport, but I have been, and I, you probably see this in your work too, that when you sort of hit these vents of sports that are both a sport, like a professional sport, but also a participatory thing, you get this um, enthusiasm for it, which I think is quite unlike, say, writing about the Yankees. Like, if you write about, like, you know, uh, a, a, a cyclocross race, there's this whole, like, everybody who does it is going to read it just because they're kind of shocked that it exists out into mm-hmm. the world. And so you have real buy in in the way that you don't necessarily have when you're writing about, you know, you're the 78th person with a take on Urban Meyer that hour, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 The people who are into it are really into it. And they share it, and it has all these kinds of, you know, the metrics and things like that that we all can see now, and they actually do quite well. It's a weird thing, but I don't know if it could sustain itself. It was a full-time thing. I think that, you know, having it done occasionally is is sort of the, the what works for us at least.
0: Let's take a break and come right back and open up the fun bag with Jason Gay and talk some more sports too, all right? We'll be right back. We are back with Jason Gay of the Wall Street Journal. We're going to remember a guy. You ready to remember a guy, Jason Gay?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, so all we do when we remember some guys, we're just remembering past athletes who happen to be past athletes. They're not like Hall of Famers or anything. They're just guys. Your guy of the week. In honor of you, Jason Gay, Brooks Bollinger. Do you remember that guy?
2: Oh, sure. Brooks Bollinger. He was a quarterback for Wisconsin. He What, what? a lovely, thoughtful gift.
0: And Brooks for the Jets. Bollinger for our
2: guest. And for the Jets. <laughs>
0: Yep. I actually don't remember him playing for any other NFL team, probably because he didn't. What's, once <laughs> you play for the Jets, that's kind of it for your NFL career. You don't really.
2: The Jets quarterback list is, is approaching that Browns quarterback list. Mayfield's yeah. given them a little bit of stability the last plus years, but the Jets, I mean, it's extreme. What is it? How many this year? It's three. At right.
0: Least. And I mean, and they drafted a guy number two. And he's played terribly. And I, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even, it's him and, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if I can describe their failures to them or the or the the absolute
1: cursed franchises they play for. It's hard Wilson to is, an, parse. is a really interesting type of bad quarterback. Like Lawrence sometimes you'll see makes really good throws because he's Trevor Lawrence. Like he's still Trevor Lawrence in there. Right. Wilson will biff easy throws, and I this is just a masochistic part of me. I'm not even a Jets fan. I just will watch what's on TV if I'm not feeling like doing anything else he throws like 97 mile an hour heaters on like bubble screens and he throws them in weird spots. Like he makes, he could not make it harder to be his wide receiver.
2: Let me ask you this though. I feel like this year is like the greatest body of evidence of how quarterbacking is largely situational because of two things. Look at Mac Jones. Like, do you mean to tell me that Trevor Lawrence on the new England Patriots would not be having the kind of season that Mac Jones is having Or look at the Stafford thing in L.A. where, you know, he's still making some blunders, but he's a lot better situation, a lot better team, a lot better weapons, and he's kind of doing what they thought and said he would do. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say that these guys in and of themselves are failures when they're in these situations that are just brutal.
1: Yeah, for Lawrence that's true. I think, well, it's hard to say. The Jets like kind of thought they would be good, which is weird, I think. Like, but they, like, signed real players to put around them. Like the They Jaguars got a real don't. coach, too. Yeah. Right? It's different. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, go ahead, Ralph. No. I mean, I don't really have anything much more to add to that. Although it is weird to me that the quarterbacks that have looked the best for the Jets this year are, in my mind, uh, Mike White for 1.25 games. Right. And Josh And Josh Johnson. Like, the rest of it has just been a disaster area.
0: I, I want to use the, the Brooks Bollinger discussion to talk to you, Jason, uh, about... Uh, you are a Wisconsin fan, obviously. You despise Michigan, but Michigan uh, is going to be in the college football playoff on New Year's Eve. They're playing Georgia. Bama is the one seed. They're going to play Cincinnati. As someone who loves Wisconsin but hates Michigan, are you going to root against Michigan, or are you going to do the SEC thing where you, keep, you you have to root for the Midwest to represent even if you fucking despise
2: Michigan? I need the material drew i mean come on i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's like uh a, a michigan run is is good business uh, you know it's hard to argue that they are a very popular concern i mean the university of michigan is a massive school with a massive base of alumni many of whom work and read the wall street journal so like if this party train continues it's good for my work but I just think it's interesting to have a little bit of a wild card in this playoff format, which has been getting terribly boring over the last couple of years. And I think that Cincinnati being in there is interesting because we finally get to have that quasi referendum about power five versus group of five. And then, you know, Michigan, like I'm, I'm curious how it goes. I mean, I, I, my heart is saying they beat Georgia, but you know, people who are sec wonks are like, no way, no how. Yeah.
1: Drew, how in are you on them? Like, how much do you believe in the team from having watched them?
2: Michigan? Yeah. I mean, they definitely feel like a team of destiny. They definitely feel like they are, you know, riding some sort of momentum wave. I mean, that, they crushed Iowa. Ohio State win was really convincing. And Ohio yeah. State entered that game as being the number two team in the country. It was not like some sort of flukish victory at all. So, yeah.
0: And the, uh, that was the last I ever heard that stadium. If you've ever been to that stadium, you know it's huge. But it's as silent as a fucking church most of the time. Right. And, they, like, it sounded like it sounded like the clink. Like, it was, like, loud in that Ohio State game. And, and rightfully so. They played fucking amazing football. It was very cool.
2: And there's fans that have been bottled up for a decade and a half at least now. And they are ready to rock. And they will come out for these games. And there's just going to be – there's no, like, you know, sort of, like – boredom that you have with some of these sec teams that are just for them it's this is routine
0: uh this is from greg this is we're opening up the fun bag and i think this might be something you can answer factually jason gay yeah greg writes in with so many uniform combinations now who do you think chooses which combination is worn obviously players and coaches don't but they're also usually superstitious enough to voice objections if they consider one to be bad luck i i i'm embarrassed i don't know this do you know uh in various sports leagues, who gets to choose the the uniform that's worn on for any given game?
2: I only know what I've read a couple of times in things like baseball, where you see things where, like, oh, the Red Sox got together and they decided that they wanted to wear their trashy softball uniforms for the ALCS. Like, you know, like, I'm always offended. I want to see them wear their classics in the playoffs, you know, and then they wear the goofiest— Outfit, and it's usually because the players consider there's some sort of mojo and like you know they're riding that um so i think the players have a vote in baseball i don't know how it works in other sports and like without trying to sound like craggy old sports writer like i just to me i've lost the thread on like how any of it works nowadays because I'm old enough to have come of age and like, you know, the whites were your homes and the colors were your ways and that's how it worked. And, you know, that's obviously no longer the case. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So there's something kind of quaint about the color rush era where there'd be like one week a year where every team looks like a different Gatorade flavor and you're like, Oh, neat. Well that, that I think is, I was going to
0: say the NFL, I think has contractual, um, uniform obligations like Color Rush. Like, that was always, right. at least in the beginning, it was always folded into Thursday Night Football. So if you were on Thursday Night Football, you'd wear your ugly shit uh, Color Rush uniforms. I don't think that's as true anymore. Like, I've seen Color Rush jerseys in other spots besides Thursday Night Football. But I have to think that there is, if there is you know, first of all, some sort of contractual obligation in the NFL, at least. And then a marketing department has to or, and I think yeah. I think the the player stuff. I think that I don't think it's as, as common in the NFL, but I do think that you know if I think on special occasions, if the players are like, "Hey, we want to wear our Kelly Green St. Patrick's Day uniforms sort or of the fuck," then they're like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do that." As for the NBA, like they wear a new uniform every fucking game. I'm just so gonna I say n- like that
1: just seems like bad practice if you're like reaching out for like a casual fan and they put on a game and like. One team is wearing a pink jersey that just says "Burp Town" across the front in Comic Sans. Like no one knows what that means, you know. Like you just like they're gonna watch and hope somebody dunks, but it's confusing.
0: Chad writes in uh, Jason. Couldn't announcer call an entire game on the radio so vaguely that my mom couldn't figure out which sport is being
2: played? Um. <laughs> uh, well, let's think of what the sport would be. There's no I mean, way it could not, be baseball. It can't be baseball. It can't be baseball because baseball has very bespoke language. Um, a scoring sport, basketball, and what's a, like, a high-volume scoring sport? That's – I mean, three-pointer would kind of be a – I mean, what do we mean by vague? Like they just say like he scores and it's three points. Uh, tennis is out. Um, you could maybe conceivably – uh,
0: confuse hockey and soccer because there's yeah. a goal and it's one and there's passing. Yes. But hockey is like so insanely fast. Like if soccer players passed right. at the rate that hockey <laughs> yeah. players do, it would, it would be fucking insane.
1: Also, yeah. the announcing in hockey is like just one of the greatest cardiovascular workouts. <laughs> like really yeah. probably as much as playing the sport itself is. Like those guys just talk nonstop for you know a couple hours.
2: <laughs> those hockey announcers cannot stop talking.
1: It's great. I love Doc
0: Emmerich. Sean I writes
1: think in, uh, that Jason. that Keith Hernandez could do it vaguely enough because he just would not talk about the actual game that he's announced. Well, he would just talk about his cat or some shit like yeah, that? Yeah, or just, right, like, like, at a great dilatory pace, sharing a lamb recipe over three innings. I've heard it in a Mets game. <laughs> Sean writes in, Jason, I was going to get a haircut
0: today, and I started thinking about if our hair follicles had nerve endings and how you'd feel pain if your hair were cut getting a haircut or shaping you up would be the worst thing ever right would all of society just grow their hair out from birth or would there still be people willing to go get a haircut by use of hair anesthesia or just sheer gritting it out would balding actually be an advantage here I'm thinking about dead nerve receptors what would happen to society Jason if
2: you could feel your hair Will there be like some kind of like lidocaine application, right? some sort of thing that you would like put on like ends to like, if you had to do hair cutting, I mean, cause I don't think you can just not cut your hair ever. Uh, but yeah, baldness would definitely be a performance advantage, a life advantage. Um, would people do like electrolysis or do all kinds of like just remove hair like, we just, you know, what is it? Nare? Oh, that's right. You could just yeah. give
0: yourself alopecia.
2: <laughs> I don't know. what are you. I mean, yes. What a question.
1: Yeah, this is, like, real deep fun bag stuff. The idea, of, it's, like, not even clear what drug the person writing the question is on. <laughs> You'd have to, we'd have to have hair,
0: hair, Novocaine. Dan writes in, uh, Jason, I'm standing here washing my wife's 46-pound cast-iron pan by hand, of course. These things are bullshit, right? Oh, it retains flavors and changes the profile of what you're cooking in it. Yeah, it adds fucking iron to your food. Lovely. Jason, are you team cast-iron pan, or are you like me and you think they're kind of bullshit?
2: I am team cast-iron pan. I believe in it. I think that they are... First of all, a, a great value deal, you know, a cast iron pan, like you're not supposed to ever throw them out. You're supposed to lug them around with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't, I've heard the thing about the sort of iron supplementation you get from cooking in them. I have no idea if that's true. My issue is the side crusting that happens and like how to get that off. Like, cause I know you're not supposed to be getting in there and you're not supposed to really clean it. Right. You're not yeah. actually supposed to get it. You like, like wipe it. Yeah. You wipe it. Uh, but I also like, you know, I see the value in a nonstick pan here and there and I don't think that like you ever achieve full nonstick with a cast iron pan. It's great for a steak. Let's I, mean, I think that what it's what its best utility is the searing process. It's it's pretty hard to compete with the searing for a for a great cast iron pan. It's also like
1: that helps with seasoning because you're using you've you're getting all these animal fats with it. Like we I don't get to cook meat very much. My wife doesn't eat it and I cook a lot of fish in cast iron pans and it's good and like – and it is not exactly nonstick but it's sort of getting you there. It's just different. Like I can't develop those sorts of flavors without that sort of like just tallow accumulation that you get from cooking steaks in a pan. And so like for me, they're borderline bullshit even though I recognize that they heat up well and they look cool and I like that you never throw them out. I also like that you don't really have to wash them. It's just like, we still have to do something with them.
2: I'm just sort of like giggling at the image of you like cooking like a whole fish in a cast iron pan. Like. <laughs> just <laughs> deftly
1: flipping it like a pancake.
2: And it has like an X where its I should be. Yeah, just, basically
1: you're imagining me as Heathcliff. Yeah, My wife really did exciting. remind me, by the way, uh, I was cooking something
0: in like a grill pan and it was sticking and I was getting all pissy. And she said, it's sticking because it's not, Finished cooking yet? Like, it, if once it's hot enough, it'll come off. And I think that's probably been my fatal flaw with cast iron pans. I'm like, everything's fucking sticking to it. Even like a steak. I'm like I got add like a stick of butter, if anything's gonna not stick to it. But I think it's also, a, I think it can be a matter of technique. That said, I'm I'm never gonna use a cast iron pan again. Like it's nice in a restaurant when they serve like cornbread to you in a little mini cast iron pan. Oh whoa, well, I'm on the frontier. But at home, I don't.
1: I don't
2: require or like a personal yeah. pan pizza.
1: <laughs> there's a place that we like in Portland, Maine. Maine chat is happening right hey, now. Uh, called hey! Called Empire Chinese. You. That does, uh, you know, that when you go to like Chinese restaurants, you can get those um, string beans that are cooked in a pan. with like sometimes there's like the fermented black beans and stuff on them. But they're like. Delicious.
0: Only time I like green, white green beans.
1: So Empire Chinese to me is like the absolute apex of that form. And I remember asking them because, you know, we would love to try to do those at home. And I was asking like, what kind of seasonings are there? What do you you use? Sometimes I will do stuff like this. Uh, I, like this is the the moment where I become like a seventy five year old man, just rocketing forward in time. And they explain that like the reason that it tastes so good is that the wok that they have is like fifty years old. That they like, and this is like a thing. That it's like it's not just like the cast iron effect there, where you're getting like iron in it. You're getting, like, every green bean that's ever been cooked in there before adding value to the thing that you have. So, like, you couldn't replicate it at home if you wanted to. Yeah. I don't know if they were trying to make me feel better because I was like, every time I do it, it just kind of sounds not, you know, comes out flat. That's like like pasta pots
0: at restaurants are always going. So the pasta wire that they have is so starchy and so has so much body in it that they can finish sauces in a way that you can't really do so. Uh, Jason Gay, you've been a fantastic guest, but we got to wrap up this podcast. Brandon Nixon, Corinne Wallace are our producers, Daisy Rosario is our executive producer, and our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. Thanks to us, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector while you're at it. And of course, subscribe to the Wall Street Journal where our guest Jason Gay resides. Jason, thank you for
2: coming on. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. Love it. Bye. All right. We'll see you guys.
0: See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.